brings you exciting and practical tips for improving your virtual teaching and virtual learning experience. And welcome back to another special edition of the VESC, Voices from NCU Students and Alumni Podcast, Driving Research and Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Barnhart, an adjunct professor here in the School of Education and an admitted higher ed and ed tech nerd. And with us today is a very special guest. We have Dr. Alethea Henry. She's a motivational life coach based in Tribeca, New York. She's a 2018 graduate of the Doctor of Education and Educational Leadership Program here at NCU. Dr. Henry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, we always like to start off uh, and allow our guests, you know, the opportunity to introduce themselves. We have a lot of different, you know, um, uh, constituents of this podcast, alumni, current students, faculty, administrators. So tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you're affiliated with the NCU and kind of what you're doing today. Okay, great. Um, so my affiliation with NCU is I'm a 2018 graduate with my doctorate in educational leadership. As you said earlier, currently I'm a certified life coach and typically I work with clients who need motivation or lack motivation. My NCU experience was quite challenging and mainly because it was online. My schooling, my background in education has been going to school in person. So the online factor was, it was interesting. It was lonely, of course. Um, I developed a lot of structure. I had to create my own space. I, I developed great time management skills. You know, I always believe if you're on time, you're late. Uh, another thing, you know, I was my biggest enemy. You know, I doubted myself every day. I don't, ha- I don't come from a family of education. I have four sisters. None of them graduated from high school. So just getting my high school diploma was pretty much my goal. But, you know, I had obstacles and adversities I had to overcome. And I'm probably not the typical uh, doctoral graduate. You know, I didn't get my doctorate degree to be a professor or, you know, work in academia. I did it because it was a coping mechanism for me. You know, I was homeless at the age of 13. And with everything happening in the background between mental abuse, physical abuse, you know, basketball, which was, you know, the thing I really had in my life. And being on my own and adjusting to a new environment where no one looks like me, I felt like I was pretty much forced into survival mode. So the safest thing was school. You know, I'm not going to get beat in school. I'm not going to get hurt in school. So, you know, school was my savior. And, you know, this is this this degree was a personal journey for me. Um, It gave me something to look forward to. I knew that if I didn't know anything back then, I knew that I. I knew one thing, and I knew that no one can take this away from me. I knew no one can take away education. Going to school, you had to go to school. You had to graduate from high school, despite the fact that, you know, my siblings didn't. But for me, like I said, it was a healing journey. So growing up, family wasn't necessary blood to me. I created my own family in school between my basketball coach, teachers, uh, classmates, guiding counselors, they had my back, you know, and at that point I was surrounded by people who didn't want me to be a product of my environment. So that was my safe haven. I felt safe there. So even, even when I did do my doctorate degree, I felt safe because I had to have my knee replaced 
and knee surgery from basketball, from my career of athletics, it, it gave, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it made me feel safe. That was my home base. Just go get the degree. Even if you don't know what you want to do, just get it. Education has always protected me. So throughout my whole life, you know, I learned in order to grow, you have to be in uncomfortable situations. And, you know, Nelson Mandela said it best. It, it, it always seems impossible until it's done. So that's kind of a little bit about me and education. That's such a powerful story, uh, you know, your background. And I think there's a lot that, uh, you know, current doctoral students can kind of take away from that and everyone really, but you know, the, that, that you earn those letters, you know, after your name. And, and that really is true. Like you earn that and, and, and you carve that out for yourself and no one can take that away from you. And I, I think that is such a powerful statement for, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks to be able to take away from this. So thank you uh, for sharing your background and, 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 you know, how, how powerful your story is. How does that play into, you know, let's talk about maybe your research uh, in your, in your dissertation. How, how, how did your, your narrative, your story, your experiences, you know, um, formulate or, or play a part in your research? So first off, when I made that first phone call to NCU and the University of Phoenix, you know, they all asked me the same question. What, what, what was my desire, you know, and, you know, they walked me through the steps. I didn't know what they were talking about. I asked a lot of questions, you know, we don't know everything. And I'm not going to act like I know everything. I, I I don't know what I don't know. So I sat there and I said, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me because I don't have a problem. So, you know, everyone always asks, what's the problem? What do you want to do your research on? I don't know. So I sat down the next day after that phone call and I just thought about my education and how sports kept me off the streets and, you know, not getting pregnant at a young age and trying to be the best version of myself. I thought about it. I said, hmm. And I was already, I, I was teaching. And I said, you know what I learned in education? In the 20 years of my educational background, I only had three minority teachers. And I thought, maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's why a lot of my friends don't go into education because we didn't see people who look like us. I've never had teachers say, you should be up and you can grow up and be a teacher. No one has ever said that to me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to look into exploring minority teachers. And, you know, I saw the numbers and the statistics, but sometimes you need that qualitative part. You want to hear the voices of these stories. And, you know, also, you also have to put your biases to the side because your experiences don't mean that's what's happening. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. I don't think I'm going to be able to complete it. I, I'm telling you, I was my biggest enemy. I, I had so much self-doubt, you know, and also through experiences of being a minority. Well, let me say this first. What I do know is I have a lot of minority friends and I was treated different because of the color of my skin because I was light skin so I didn't get that harsh treatment that they did and you know I'm sorry it happened to them but it opens our eyes to things so you know and also throughout my whole life even my siblings 
you know, I decided to further my education for personal reasons. And even people on the street, oh, you act white. Well, you know, my response is I'm not going to get angry or fight because you think I act white. I just, I, you know, my response to them was I didn't know that education was only for Caucasian people or people who did not look like me. So just because I choose to speak standard English doesn't mean I should be judged. So, you know, I, you know, sometimes we have to just bypass ignorance and that is the importance of education. You know, I'm not saying everyone should go to school so they can get a great paying job, but you know what? It allows us to be articulate and understand the ignorances in the world. So that kind of helped me with my title and my title of my study was uh, Explore Minority Teachers' Experiences Pertaining to Their Value in Education. And my research is important to the field of education because my findings demonstrate, you know, I, I didn't focus my study around racism, but one of the findings demonstrated the impact of racism in education. And, you know, I was adopted by white people, so I never, I never seen color until recent. And recently, and then now that I think about it, things that did happen to me, like I was saying earlier, that ha- that happened to my friends who were darker color, now it just, um, you know, you get that flashback like, oh, that's what was happening. So, you know, the, the impact of racism in education, you know, it exists in schools. It is what it is. There's nothing we can, you know, we can do things about it where, you know, things are changing now, and especially outside of education, the whole George Floyd situation, people are now seeing that, you know, these things aren't made up. It actually happens. It may not happen to me personally, but it happens. So, you know, and it will be difficult to recruit and retrain and and, and uh, retain teachers of color if, you know, policy or stakeholders don't do anything about this. And you know what the real problem is, is that it's not that everyone's not racist. It's just that it's the lack of acknowledgement with racism, you know, and which leaves room for colorblindness. And, you know, fact, factors of racism are oppression and domination. And these attributes are, you know, a reflection of the lack of balance, you know, which uh, causes individuals to feel superior as well as inferior. And, you know, I believe that if, I believe we'll see a different a difference if, you know, uh, preparation programs and certification examinations and the lack of institutional support, like if they do culturally relevant teaching, and allow people to be part of diversity and teach these teachers that, you know, we all come from different backgrounds, you know, foods, ethnicities, all that, and cultural relevant responsiveness. I think that the teaching, the teaching population can increase in terms of minorities, you know, and it it also, it allows for cultural exchange to take place. 
Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think we're seeing that play out like in real time right now, you know, with like the Nicole Hannah Jones situation and, you know, the debate around critical race theory and, uh, you know, in the classroom. And I, I think it's important, you know, to definitely your research and your findings along those lines. Is there anything maybe, uh, you know, educators uh, could put into best practice? You know, one of the main findings from your research, anything that, that sticks out um, and something that, that's very readily applicable uh, for educators to, to put into their practice, you know, in their classroom or um, in their philosophies, if you have anything to share in that respect. Well, you know, yes, but it's like when you're teaching they want you to teach what they want you to teach. You know, they've taken away the art of teaching. Everything is about, everything is about testing. So you can't, you have to kind of do it in the little life skills moment you can teach to your children. You know, there's a lot we can do. I don't understand why the system is the way it is, but I do believe there has been a system in place for minorities to fail. It's been like that for so long and things can be done. And if we don't read policymakers and stakeholders, if we don't revamp the educational system, there will continue to be a shortage. So it really isn't, you know, it really isn't the teachers, you know, we want to teach these things. We listen, we're not trying to take over people's job. We just want to be treated the same, you know, equality, you know, you go into you go into the affluent neighborhoods and you go into the libraries, they have Mac computers and great books. And then you go into the urban school districts. You better hope chapter one is in that book you just took out of the library. So it's all about the policyholders, you know, and the districts. It's higher than the teachers, you know, so. But things, I think things will change and things will get better. Absolutely. And I think it's research like yours and, you know, um, even prior to um, a pandemic that forced everyone to be, you know, teaching online and, and, and even exacerbating that problem of access to resources and things like that. I think it's so important to, to understand why, you know, research like yours and, and, and the findings um, and the practices that come out of that are, are important as well. Um, I know we talked a little bit about um, uh, a specific, you know, a specific practices that kind of you use and, and incorporate and advocate for. Would you mind sharing a little bit about those? Uh, practices that I've used uh, to reach the level I have was the importance of taking breaks because, you know, we could be hard on ourselves. We're human. And listen, the workload is intense. I've never experienced work like this. I was on a basketball team, so the coaches had my back. All I had to do was maintain that 2.5 average. I'm keeping it real. I didn't have to work that hard. But when I joined NCU, learning took place for me then in my 30s. I'm humble to say it. I, I started actually learning when, you know, I joined NCU. I always heard people and sometimes I say, yeah, I did research on that. No, I've never did research. Google is not research. I started doing research when I hit NCU and you know what? I, I, I don't have any regrets. I actually love learning. I, I don't know if to say I love the experience. Cause like I said, that was very rigorous. Um, but, um, it was it was good. And also, you know, what kept me going was family and friends and writing down positive affirmations like, 
you can do a deep, even if, you know, I still have that self doubt, but when you see every, when you see things and I'm a, I'm a big uh, person on note taking. So when you see it, you start to believe it, you know, and it's all about what's up here in your head, you know, because thoughts create feelings and feelings create actions, you know, and actions equal results. So, but I do also have recommendations for anyone who is doing qualitative research. So I was a little lost when I started my, um, my qualitative research process. And the first year I was almost dismissed from NCU because I just couldn't get it. But it is very important to have a great chairperson. I mean, you're not going to make it if you don't have a great chairperson, period. I had, a, I had a, I thought I had a good chairperson. We, I did my work. I knocked out my courses, but I just kept getting stuck on chapter one. And then, uh, I wrote a letter to the university and I explained to them, listen, look at my transcript at a 3.8, 3.9. And I have all E's and one B in statistics. So I'm doing what I have to do. There's something not clicking in between. So they gave me a new chairperson, uh, Dr. Linda Bloomberg. And you know what? I purchased her book, uh, Completing Your Qualitative Dissertation, which everyone, sh that should be a requirement. You know how they require you to have the APA manual? They should require you to have that. I mean, this is a, it's a roadmap, literally, from beginning to end. And it's like the Bible of qualitative research. You know, the first chapter starts out with, I'm a visual person. So the first chapter starts out with a diagram, like you actually see, and it has like arrows. You see what your next step is. So it's better than the syllabus. It describes uh, the different methodologies. It's clear. It's concise. Get the book. It'll make your life easier. And, you know, I had the pleasure of having the author as my chairperson, and I wouldn't have it any other way because without her, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Absolutely. Shout out to Dr. Bloomberg. She is definitely um, in the Commons. Um, you know, if you have questions, she's in there in the School of Ed Commons. Definitely get in there and, and check her out uh, and get the book. I, I can't agree enough. I know I used it in my uh, dissertation process, so it helped me out too, definitely. So that's great, great advice there, Dr. Henry. Thank you. No problem. For <laughs> sharing that with us. How, um, how, a little bit more about, um, you know, I know we talked about the affirmation, but the breaks. And that's one of the things I, I, I preach to my, uh, my, the students I chair or I sit on the committee with is that it's okay to like build a break in every now and then. How, how did you use breaks um, to your advantage uh, in your process? Oh, so what I did was, so break, breaks can be dangerous if you don't monitor them because it could lead to procrastination. Okay. So I would time my breaks. I would say, and I was very genuine, genuine with my breaks, so generous. I said 30 minute breaks because I realized that I was writing so much that my head just felt so overwhelmed and full. And then it started making me doubt myself. But then I said, if you walk away and people said it to me, I always thought it was corny, walk away, take notes. No, I'm not doing that. I know what I'm doing, but you know what? We don't know everything. I listened. I take my breaks frequently. You know, I'm not going to work for three hours straight because reading, writing, and researching is huge, you know? So you have to 
you, you know, keep pushing, time yourself, use a timer, take a break every two hours, take a break every hour and a half. And, you know, it, the reason why I took a lot of breaks too, is because when the first time I read a journal, it was the first course that I took at NCU. It was some one-on-one course and I had to read this journal. I've never read a journal in my life and I'm looking at these words and I'm like, what? I would grab a dictionary. Dictionary was my second best friend other than the completing your qualitative dissertation uh, manual. I had a dictionary every time. And then I'm like, am, am I dumb that I don't know this? So just to, you know, it, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Like into you, it was my first time actually really learning. Like I didn't learn my whole life. So breaks are important and keep pushing and admit that you don't know everything because you're not going to get too far and be kind to yourself. That's, that's the most thing you can do is be kind to yourself, feel the fear and do it anyway. That's also a good book. So, and, um, with this type of degree, you got to take baby steps, baby steps and create, create smart goals. See, the thing is that we know what we want, but our goals are not achievable or manageable. So if you do it in baby steps, you'll see the difference. I like that. Very important. Uh, you know, small incremental steps. Can't go wrong there. Um, okay, so uh, this is our uh, part that we ask everyone about. Um, and we ask that, you know, um, since virtual education is, you know, we're online, most of our students are online. We've, we've been in this pandemic for a year and a half plus uh, where everyone's been on, uh, online. Do you have one, like, hack that you use that makes uh, your life easier when it comes to education or uh, just in generally, you know, navigating the world of, um, virtual education. Well, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you consider this a hack, but I'm going to go back to my positive affirmations. I write them on colorful, I use colorful pens or colorful papers. So right now it looks like I'm sitting in front of a rainbow. So I just, you know, because, you know, colors spark something in us and I, I'm always going to go back because that's what got, that's what motivated me. This is what I do for a living. I motivate people. So I'm all about writing things down and being kind to yourself. My educational hack is take time, take time out for yourself. And you know what? Read in just one little sentence and make sure it's in different colors. So it grabs your attention. Use colorful pens, use colorful papers and, you know, do what you got to do. You can do it. We all can do it. You know, nothing. We all have the ability and capacity to get a degree, a terminal degree. It's just you have to be motivated and you have to want it. Very good. Do you have any, um, uh, b before we kind of wrap it up here, do you have a favorite affirmation that you, you know, go come back to or, or went back to during your, your time as a student? One I do have is uh, empowering others to be the best version of themselves. And I try to live by that. I want to be the best person that I can be. And I want to spread that motivation and those waves because that's just what I do. I'm happy to do it. And that's my, that's my affirmation to empower others to be the best version of yourselves. Excellent. Well, Dr. Henry, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Before we go, we always kind of like to wrap up and allow our 
um, you know, guests to kind of plug their pluggables, if you will, um, on how the NCU community members can connect with you. You can connect with me at www.alethiahenry.com, A-L-E-T-H-E-A-H-E-R-N-Y.com. I'm a motivational life coach. I'm a climb up coach. I want you to climb up mountains that impede us in life. This is what I do. If you need help, if you're a doctoral student, you need to stay on that track. You can reach out to me anytime. My phone number is 646-441-7594. All right. Well, make sure you check her website out. For Dr. Alethea Henry, I'm Ryan Barnhart. This has been the best voices from NCU students and alumni driving research and practice podcast. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us on VESC. This is Dr. Amy Lynn. Remember, learning is right at your fingertips.